Going Linux episode 375, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hey, Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Larry. How are you? All right. Anything new in your world that we can talk about before we get into our listener feedback? Yeah. So... Uh, just a couple of things. A fun thing, two fun things actually. First one is I f- officially gave my Fedora test machine its own personal nickname because I'm weird that way. So its <laughs> new name uh, is called Tugboat, and Tugboat is just just keeps t- chugging along, pulling ah. its weight. So Tugboat has just been really, really. Uh, Rock solid, um, really no issues. Fedora 30, uh, it's a standard workstation, has just worked really well on it. Uh, I'm sure anything would run well on it, uh, but I, I've just, you know, I just affectionately, you know, Tugboat's, you know, has been burning a lot of USB drives lately, and <laughs> since it has, uh, since it also has a DVD uh, rewriter, I've been able to use it for a few little projects I was doing. So this is like my little workhorse, the little uh, boat that could. So um, that's great. Now this is your Fedora 30 system standard. It's not the silver blue. You, it's not the silver blue because uh, okay. I. I installed this uh, on it, and it's been about a month. So you can tell, mm-hmm. hey, it's 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 actually beating a lot of records right now by not being reformatted. But it's <laughs> basically, um, I use it for my uh, the download download my torrents uh, to store documents that I need to be able to um, get real quick. Um, it's just been rock solid. I'm really impressed with how how good it runs um so you know i just this is kind of a silly thing but it's just like man i said this thing just works really well there's no issues i actually even customized it um i liked um the deep end uh desktop so i just and it's officially supported in their repos so i went ahead and installed it and of course i still have gnome on it so I, i you know i need to boot into gnome but uh, yeah, I uh, I've been running the the deep end desktop on it. Of course, it doesn't have all the um, you know stuff from the deep end Linux distro. This is just basically the desktop, you know. Right. Uh, the, so uh, it's it's really it's really just done everything I've asked uh, f- to, uh, without any complaint. And I, I would have to say uh, mainly because it's pretty. Uh, it, a lot of the the stuff in here is older, so it's well supported. The Intel graphics and everything, um, and but uh, yeah, it's just been really rock solid. Uh, I am, you know, as you know, a, a, a Ubuntu um, fanboy, and 
uh, and its flavors and stuff. But this Fedora machine is really winning me over because it, it it's uh, it's been really solid. But on that, so Tugboat I used to download MX Linux, which I then burned and put on my main machine. Okay. And I've been running MX Linux up until last night for about two weeks and really pushing it to see what I could get it to do if I could really break it. You know, that's what I'm one to do a lot of times. And so I found that MX Linux, um, it gets a passing grade. It is a really nice Debian based system. It's based on Debian stable and, uh, it's uh, they do. It's got a lot of good features, and uh, the reason I was testing it was people were telling me that this uh, this was becoming increasingly popular in DistroWatch, which it is. It's like number one uh, or number two. Did they change? You know, I don't really give a lot of credence to that because I the way they kind of rank those, but it kind of gives you an idea of popularity of a Linux distro. So I downloaded it, installed it. Uh, I spent probably hours, you know, getting it exactly the way I want. It uses uh, XFCE as it, and it's a little bit of customization, and they have a tweak tool that you can go in and you can move things around. And so it it wasn't hard um, to get it the way I wanted. It just you you could use it right out of the box without any problem. The only problem is is that me being me uh if it's not set up how i like my workflow to work it it, it kind of makes me crazy uh i like i like the where i'm able to you know put things where i want them because that's the way i i like and everybody's different so some people might say hey this is great i never i don't need to touch anything it's perfect i'm not harshing on them i'm just saying that's one of the things yeah, of x sure. uh, XFCE is highly customizable. Um, it was um, it was really a good system. I, I, you know, being Debian based, uh, I I understood it a little bit more than the uh, the Fedora machine because I you know they use different uh, terms and ways of installing software. Right. But the one thing that I did find is they make this thing incredibly easy to get stuff that you want. Their update manager was really, really, really good. Um, I found it a little slow, but nothing unbearable. But everything's laid out. You know, they have like popular uh, software. Then they have uh, the Debian stable. Then they have Debian testing, and then they they actually support flat packs. So, and you can search all that through um, their uh, software package installer. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to it, as far as ability to do whatever you want. It never crashed. It was pretty much rock solid. It, it did like an update. I, I believe uh, for the week, uh, the two weeks I had it, it updated like four times with new kernel versions or driver updates or whatever. So. Okay. Um, it, but nothing was except for the very first one. Um, uh, they, they weren't very huge updates. Uh, all software work they have where you can easily install Chrome right in their package manager, which was nice. Um, they have where you can do Discord and Audacity. Uh, I don't know if I would say it's as easy to install as, say, Ubuntu Mate. 
it's a lot easier to install than I would say Fedora, but that's just my personal opinion. But it's pretty straightforward. If you're maybe not a total new Linux user, but you've used maybe Ubuntu or Linux Mint or one of those others, then you would probably have no issues getting this installed. And that's um, because you've already got the basics down. Yeah, the of... basics. That's the one thing that I, I'm I'm finding, especially with the uh, the Fedora machine that I have, is yeah, Ubuntu gave me the the uh, basics, but there's little differences. But you're still able to figure it out. But I I would say if you're brand new to Linux, unless you have someone to help you. Maybe some of the things might be a little confusing. Nothing that you couldn't work out. But I would still say uh, use an Ubuntu-based for right now because that's the most supported one right now. Did you say that MX Linux is Ubuntu-based or Debian-based? No, Debian. Debian-based. Okay, yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, and of course, you know, Ubuntu was come from Debian. Yeah. But uh, Ubuntu has a lot of, I would say, uh, user life um, helpers. Makes things a little easier to get things set up, um, and I think it's just a, it's a good starting point. Right. It's designed with new Linux users in mind. Yeah. But say that you've used it for a little bit, but you want to try something different, or you just want to learn a little bit more. MX Linux, it, it's fine. It's Debian-based, so everything you learned in Ubuntu kind of seamlessly goes over to the system here. So I'm not saying that it, you, you couldn't use it as a first-time uh, user. Uh, you certainly could. I just think that if you had maybe a little of experience or you're a, a savvy computer user that maybe had used some um, USB um, live versions of Ubuntu, and you you were comfortable. Say you were using you know, you're running your Windows machine using a USB drive for a while to get used to it. Then you would probably be okay. But I would give it a good solid eight eight point five for usability. But okay. it, and the reason it's not a you know it's not higher is because. I find that you have – I had to spend time to get things where I wanted them. And, you know, I hate having the bar on the side, so I, you know, I had to put it on the bottom. And then I wanted to theme it because I really didn't like the look of it. You know, I have to look at it. I want to at least have something pleasing. Mm-hmm. But you might find that it's just perfectly fine for you. Uh, I would – but I would say – oh, here's a good example. Ubuntu Mate has, you know, to get you started, you have an office suite, you have a web browser, you have video viewer. So you have one of everything. Um, the MX, there was multiple versions of different stuff, and they were all good, and nothing didn't work. But sometimes if, you, if you're starting a whole new operating system, you don't want them to be thrown with a ton of um, choices. You know, right at the very beginning, you just want them to be able to boot into it and write their email, browse the web. Yeah, keep it simple. Yeah, keep it simple. So 
that, that that's not really a, a criticism. It's just saying they've got so much into it. They uh, they have some really cool features of being able to make a bootable image of your currently running system, which is with just a, uh, a nice graphical user interface, no nothing required, you know, command line. So it's really a um, it's really a complete system, and you can just add and add and add. And, and I found stuff that worked well. Um, app images worked well. Flat packs worked well. Um, I didn't really have complaints, so I would say it, it gets it gets a good solid, you know, B plus A minus. Okay. So yeah, so that's kind of like the mini mini review, it, it, you know. It wasn't exceedingly super light, but it wasn't really heavy. I would consider it like a medium weight distro. Yeah. Sort of, sort of like a Ubuntu Mate as far as resource wise. If it can run Ubuntu Mate, it can run this. So that's just uh, that's just me. I mean, like I said, uh, if you're interested in it, I, I, I encourage you if you want something a little different or you just want to try a Debian based system and but you don't want to have to figure out, you know, how to do arch or uh something it, it can be used as a stepping stone to just increase your knowledge so that's that's kind of my micro review passing grade great great uh distro really liked them um so yeah oh that's great good thanks yeah. for that that's and thanks for continuing to try out all these uh linux distributions and sharing your knowledge and experience with us that's uh amazing uh, well, you know me, I love the distro hop. <laughs> yeah, I had noticed. Yes, I did. Now, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that's my, you know, I used to game a lot. Now I, I spend more time distro hopping than gaming and, and, uh, refining the process. So, and I'm the only person probably has like 12 USB, um, drives for different, uh, live environments where I can install them quickly and, <laughs> I'm just so I, weird. I don't know. I've heard a few of our minions talk about the number of distros that they have hopped around. So oh, okay. maybe a contender for the largest number, but I wouldn't bet on it being, the, you know, 12 being the number. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow. Um, yeah. So I've been hopping around a little bit as well, not distros, but uh, office suites. Um, mm -hmm. I had been hearing some good things about an alternative to Microsoft Office that is cross-platform. It's available for Windows, Linux, and Mac. And as you know, application software, for me, it's important that it be cross-platform because uh, in my work, I'm using Mac computers and Windows computers and Linux computers. So um, I need to be able to run my applications on everything. Well, this version of an Office suite is called FreeOffice. It's from a company called SoftMaker, who's been around for quite a long time, making word processors and spreadsheets and database applications and all kinds of other stuff. So FreeOffice is the name of the Office suite. We'll have a link in the show notes. And the reason I was attracted to it is because it's reportedly much more compatible with Microsoft Office's file formatting, especially with the most recent file uh, formats, the doc 
X and XLSX and PPTX uh, file formats that are so difficult for OpenOffice and LibreOffice to uh, be compatible with. Uh, but for some reason, FreeOffice seems to be, or at least is reported to be, a lot more compatible with the file formats there. And so you don't lose your document formatting or graphics uh, formatting and that sort of thing. So I haven't put it to the test yet. I've just got it installed. And there is a free version. It is not completely open source, so it's not um, available free as in freedom, but it is uh, free as in beer. In other words, no charge. And they have a version for, like I said, Windows, Mac, and Linux that you can download from their website. And they have the various versions that you need to be able to install on any Linux distribution and an installer for Windows and an installer for Mac. Uh, and it is nice from a couple of different perspectives in my very brief usage of it. One is that if you like the Microsoft Office ribbon interface, it has one of those. If you like uh, the more traditional interface of the earlier versions of Microsoft Office, uh, or any other <laughs> office suite, uh, you can choose that as well. Um, there are a few features that if you want to use them, you need to uh, purchase a license for the pro version or whatever it is they call it. Uh, but it's fully functional as an office suite, even without that. So I'm using the free version for home use and... One of the things that I've noticed in using it for about a week uh, is that they say that it's limited to use on five computers, which, you know, many software applications, you know, limit the use to an, a specific number of computers. But even the free version, after using it for a little while, they ask you for your email address, which, you know, under normal circumstances would be alarm bells going off. What are they doing with my email address? Uh, but to the best of my ability, I am expecting that they're using that to be able to track how many computers you have it installed on because essentially you're registering it in exchange for sending you sending them your email address. They send you a key so you can register the version of FreeOffice. Uh, and I'm expecting that, you know, if you use that same key, for multiple copies on multiple computers, if you install it on a sixth computer, they're going to say, oh, wait a minute, you are uh, you're, you're using it on too many. So I like it. It's very functional. It's easy to use, as easy to use as any uh, Office suite. I haven't tried uh, the free Office. I'm required to use um, Office on certain things for my work. And uh, don't tell them, shh, I've been using WP Office and they have not noticed. It's just, it's just the, the, it, the compatibility is right there on par. So yeah, I would say, uh, I, I want to try free office, uh, but, uh, WPS, uh, has been really, really, um, really good. So, you know, there's two modern looking office suites on top of LibreOffice, the one that, you know, is the workhorse of the Linux, uh, 
uh, ecosystem, there's three choices that, you know, find one that works well for you. And I mean, yes, some of them are not uh, 100% open source, but they're available free as in beer. So I would say use, you know, we, we just want to use links to get things done. And if I can find an office suite that that I like and it, get, and it works well and is in, and it's compatible with what I need, I'm going to use it. Yep, absolutely. So yep. we've got a couple of different um, things to try out if you're a little more yeah. advanced user and you want to try a different Office Suite or maybe you need an Office Suite that's a little more compatible with the Microsoft formats of things and you really don't want to uh, use the online version of Microsoft Office. Um, and I've used it for a bit as well. Uh, and quite extensively, in fact, and I've seen that its menus and features and functions are more limited than your standard uh, installed on your hardware application uh, for Office Suite. So, yeah, uh, if if you can't live with those limitations, give one of these a try. Yeah, I do have a question about FreeOffice, Larry. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've done... Uh, used it extensively for like um, I, I use a lot of um, uh, templates for like schedules and stuff uh, and uh, the one thing that always um, kind of drives me crazy is having to relearn how to do something that should be really simple and uh, like for instance when I'm uh, I'm just using this as an example when I want to just change the date range uh for a new schedule but you keep the same template mm -hmm. um it's you know it's real easy just to you know uh, set the new date and pull it across the uh the cells and it automatically populates them correctly you know that the easy the easy use um a quality of life features does free yeah. office have a lot of those uh quality of life uh um uh, Features as far as, you know, maybe spell checking or, uh, you know, uh, grammar check or, uh, you know, what what would you say are the most um, standout features of FreeOffice if someone wanted to try it? The thing that you noticed when you first started using that? Yeah, I think I'll probably be able to answer that question in a little more depth after I've used it in a little while as far as okay. the quality of life kind of features. but. In answer to your question about what did I first notice about it that was yeah. uh, of interest, well, it's the fact that you can change the user interface to be the ribbon or be more traditional. The fact that you can use it on a high-resolution screen like a 4K monitor, and it has settings to allow you to change the default font size and scaling oh, and that sort of thing. Wow. And okay. you can, even if you have a touch screen, you can make the buttons on the interface bigger so that you can touch them with your finger a little bit more easily. So lots of features that way that you just don't get okay. in most other office suites. Um, but I'm sure there are several others in there that I haven't run across yet. So maybe we'll update that later. Yeah, that those actually are some nice features, and and you write a more than I do. I write a, a, a good amount, but you write a lot, so I guess the you know those little I would say quality of life uh, features or conveniences make things a little more pleasant 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. What what I'm hoping is in writing updates to the various books that I have, mm-hmm. um, I've had to, in using LibreOffice, do a little bit of work around because Amazon and some of the other self-publishing sites, they're expecting you to be using Microsoft Office and they have instructions uh-huh. on how to format things to make them easy for them to process into a book. Okay. Uh, and I've successfully done that with LibreOffice, but it's it's a bit of a pain. So what I'm hoping is that... The free office will be a little easier? Yeah, that free office will be a little more compatible with the Microsoft Office formats and that I won't have to do as much tweaking to the workflow process that I've had to do with uh, with LibreOffice. And it'll be a little okay. more straightforward. We'll find out. And, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's you know. going to be an interesting... Uh, uh, experience, especially if it kind of where you don't have to do a lot of the, um, you know, tweaking and workarounds. If it just works that, you know, that little bit, you start adding that up, that adds up to a lot of time. It does. It does. And, uh, having to go back and recheck all of those settings and compare them against what is recommended whenever you do, you know, a new edition of a book. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, uh, it's a bit of a time waster. So I'm all about trying to be a little more efficient and effective, but I think, you know, maybe we should get into our listener feedback. What do you think? Oh, I think that's your way of saying enough talking. Okay. So yeah, (laughs) it is, it is. We can talk about that later, but anyway, our first email comes from Michael and he said he's running slint and he writes, hi, Larry and Bill. It is Michael from... Mithlam, Homefirth, West Yorkshire, United Kingdom. If I got that wrong, I'm sorry, Michael. I I have a hard time pronouncing my name. So (laughs) he writes, I have now changed my distribution of of Linux from Ubuntu Mate to Slint based on Slackware, which includes most, if not all, the software that I need. I go to a social group at Paddock Hall in Huddersfield and their people have been helping me with my de- my laptop. One of their people reconfigured the bootloader for me on my HP laptop to be able to boot from USB and then burned a copy of Slint to USB for me. The distro has accessibility for both graphical and text terminals as well as Orca working on the graphical desktop. If for any reason my computer screws up, I can now install Slint independently. I don't know if this is due to accessibility of Slint or the person who has reconfigured my laptop, but I no longer have to find a sighted person to reconfigure the bootloader as my Slint USB is recognized when I boot my laptop. The only issue I've found as regards to software is that there isn't a graphical backup application which possibly I would be more comfortable in using. There is a graphical version for R-Sync, but I am not exactly sure of the options as regards to backing up to my Seagate portable drive. Slint doesn't come with an application like DejaDupe. All the best with going Linux. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's good to know that Slint is uh, an alternative for people who need accessibility for the blind and they've implemented it very well 
as we know from Michael's previous emails, accessibility on a terminal has been a bit of a challenge for him um, in Ubuntu Mate. And maybe that's something that Martin and crew can look into uh, sometime in the future. But for now, this seems to be a good alternative. And I'm sure that uh, Slint being based on Slackware has Deja Dupe available somewhere that you can install it in their software yeah, repositories. So. Yeah. So you might want to try that, uh, Michael. So, Larry, before we go any farther, you might have some people that are listening for the first time. If you could just give them a quick overview, because we've, we've been dropping a lot of distribution names like Slint, Slackware, Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, uh, you know, MX Linux. What, what is uh, Slackware exactly? Uh, well, Slackware is a Linux distribution that's been around for a long, long, long time. So it's one long of the time. originals. Yes, exactly. Uh, and it's not Ubuntu-based. It's not Red Hat-based. It's its own thing. And it is something that you can spend a lot of time learning how to install it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can spend it. a lot of time learning how to use it. Uh, so it's definitely not something that is for new users to Linux or new switchers to Linux. And it is, though, something that you might want to try out to learn more about Linux. And you definitely will learn more about how Linux works and all of oh, that yeah. in using in using Slackware. So um, I've installed it uh, or at least used a computer that had Slackware installed. Uh, I can't say that I installed it myself, but... Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's Linux. It's what yeah. you would expect from Linux, but it uh, it is definitely not something for the um for the average new user just switching over from Windows or Mac. Uh but it, it is a good way to learn about Linux. I uh actually bought uh Slackware DVDs back in the day. Mhm. Mm uh and the book and had a great time uh cuz Back then, it, you you had to, and I guess it's still the same. You had to actually, I actually had to use the book to install the. You know, it, it says this is what you need to do, and this is why. It was really a great learning experience. I mean, because nothing is pre-configured out of the box. You're actually building this thing up. Not not nothing as severe as like uh, a Linux from scratch or. I would consider it more along the lines of uh, maybe like a an Arch install, you know, uh, not not a Manjaro or anything, but uh, Arch where you're building it just for your system type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would consider the, those two kind of uh, parallel. Um, Slack has a special place in my heart. Remember, I think it way back. You remember, I, I was telling you that what I was doing uh, to, with it, and I, I had some success. I learned a lot. But uh, I think what Slint uh, is, is I think it's uh, a way to make uh, Slackware a little more accessible. Uh, and, uh, and so I think it's more of a, you know, this will kind of get you started type of thing uh, in the uh, Slackware um, uh, ecosystem. But yep. uh, all in all, this would probably not be, as I agree, a one for a new user. 
uh, I would you know suggest using something uh, easy to get started with, and then once you want to learn more, jump into uh, Slackware or Arch or even uh, uh, Gentoo. Yes. But what's nice about Linux is you can get started easily, and then you can use uh, these other Linux uh, distributions to build upon uh, your knowledge, and you can learn. Uh, you know, and and that's really I think what all of us have I've done that have been around for a while is we've we keep learning tricks and trying different stuff, and you know if something happens, we know we always have a fallback position, which I've had to do a few times. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway. good. Well, th thank you for yeah, that feedback, uh, Michael. We appreciate it as always. And I know you'll keep us up to date as to what's going on yeah. with your Let us know. transition to Slint. That's great. Uh, Highlander wrote, us, uh, wrote to us about errors and resolutions. After trying out Kali Linux XFCE 2009.2, I found a weird error. It took a long time to figure out what was going wrong. I successfully booted into the distro and logged on to a source of Wi-Fi. Problem started when I used Firefox to look at the weather forecast. An error showed up in Firefox that I didn't understand initially. Data flow was not flowing. Turns out that the internal clock on the local machine was far behind the clock on the internet. Kali blocked the flow of data. Kali Linux didn't tell me the cause of the problem, but the error in Firefox helped me to suss out that the real cause of the problem was a hardware CMOS error. I reset the internal clock from within BIOS and rebooted to the Kali distro. Data flow through Wi-Fi was restored. I hope future versions of Kali Linux can deal with hardware issues better than this. Uh, and Highlander, I heard your email being read out. I think it was on the Mintcast as well. So they had a take on this. Uh, and essentially it was, this isn't really Kali's fault. Because it is uh, an error that's a hardware problem, if the clock is so far out of sync with the actual date and time, um, no Linux software can give you, you know, uh, yeah. a, a good report on that. I do also have a suggestion as to what you might do about preventing this in the future. Uh, this is a hardware problem, and it's usually caused by you needing a new battery in the, the, that, that powers the CMOS. And you may not realize that laptops have a tiny little watch battery. Some of them aren't so tiny, but many of them are <laughs> tiny watch battery size batteries in there. And their sole purpose is to keep the CMOS powered so that the time doesn't lag behind uh, the, the actual time. So it keeps the, the, the clock running, essentially, uh, even when your computer is powered off. So you might want to check the battery. Yeah, I remember back in the day, they used to use like two AA batteries in those things. It was huge. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. that's, a, that's a while ago. Anyway. Hey, yeah. hey shh, shh, I'm old. So our next email comes from Jim. He asks us about his Ubuntu problem. Hey, Larry and Bill. After several days, I'm not getting any bites on the 
Ubuntu problem on either the Ubuntu forums or on askubuntu.com. The latter gave me the option of emailing someone else to help, and you are two of the most knowledgeable ones I know. And he said he has a zombie settings, and he says it's an app in Ubuntu 18.04.2. Thanks in advance, Jim from Virginia. P.S. If all else fails, I'm going to upgrade the machine to Ubuntu Mate Jim. And then, a day later, Jim wrote a, a follow-up, and he wrote, Dear Larry and Bill, Never mind, my wife, who, by the way, is a very pro-Linux lady. How lucky can a guy get in a 47-year marriage? Uh, was getting frustrated with her music server not being able to d deliver. So, a few hour hours ago, I installed Ubuntu Mate 18.04.2, in the root directory, wiping out Ubuntu 18.04.2. So basically, just it's the same Re-installed. version of yeah. Ubuntu. Yeah. And whatever was causing the problem, uh, I didn't get any point for problem solving like a good geek, but at least the SWMBO is happy. And he put SWMBO, she who must be obeyed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, most of the other machines here at the house run uh, Mate 18.04.2, and the other two that don't are going to be upgraded this week. Just wanted to get to you before you sent any spent any time looking at the issue I reported. Thanks for being uh, available, Jim from Virginia. So I was a bad person. I did not read his uh, uh, what the problem was. Did you? Do you know what he was having a problem with, Larry? Uh, no, I don't. And I didn't look into it because he, he solved it by reinstalling. Uh, so, so I don't know. But it's good to know, Jim, that you solved the problem yes. very quickly, efficiently. And I am surprised that you didn't get any response back on the forums. But then again, you know, maybe it's a tough question that doesn't have a straightforward answer and it would take someone a while to figure out how to respond to your your post mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of interesting yeah it okay. is but thanks for the the uh feedback jim we yeah. appreciate it for the problem we didn't even have to look at <laughs> i like the ones where we don't have to do anything and the listener you know uh figures it out on their own so yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it it doesn't make for a very interesting episode, though. So, yeah, but can yeah. can can we still bill them for our our services? Yes, at the regular rate of zero dollars per hour. So, okay, um, we need to talk we about go. that. <laughs> so our next email is from Juan, who asked us about Synergy or Barrier software, and this is the software that I uh, talked about a few episodes back, where you can use it to use a single keyboard and a single mouse to control multiple computers uh, up to, how many is it? 9, 12, 18, I forget, some large number more than I have. Uh, and you can uh, copy and paste things between different computers running even different operating systems. So Juan writes, hello guys, going Linux Minion here. I am having a little issue with configuring barrier between my Linux laptop running Kubuntu 19 and my MacBook running OS X, El Capitan. 
I installed Barrier on both my laptops and followed the instructions on your site's page titled Using Synergy and Barrier on Linux, Windows, and Mac. I was able to share my MacBook's mouse and keyboard with my Kubuntu laptop, but not the other way around and can't figure it out. When I click Start on Barrier app on both Mac and Kubuntu, I get a Barrier starting notice on both apps. This only happens when I am trying to use Kubuntu Laptop as a server. Any ideas? Thanks again for all your wonderful topics and amazing support of the Linux community. Regards, Juan. The only thing I can think here, Juan, and I'm not sure from your email whether this is the issue or not, so please feel free to write back. But it looks to me like perhaps when you are talking about sharing one computer keyboard and mouse with the other and you say that it works using the keyboard and mouse on your Kubuntu laptop but not the other way around one of the things that you might want to give us feedback on is whether or not you are setting it up differently uh, to control your Mac from Kubuntu or control Kubuntu from the Mac in other words you have to set up as a server the computer that you want to use the keyboard and mouse of. And the other one needs to be the client. So there are two different ways to set up Barrier. One is as a server and one is a client. And typically you have a single server and then every other computer that you want to control is the client. And while Kubuntu is the server, you can use its keyboard and mouse to control whatever other computers you have connected and have Barrier installed. And... In order to use the Mac keyboard and mouse, you need to reset up things on the Mac so that it's the server, and you need to go back to Kubuntu and set it up as the client again. So if you want to switch back and forth between keyboards and mice, that's not really what Barrier was designed to do. It's designed to pick one and then control everything from that keyboard and mouse. Does that make sense? I hope it wasn't too complex. Yeah. So the way I, I understand you said is the, the the computer that you want to use its, its keyboard and mouse has to have the server. And then and then like uh, the Mac OS El Capitan has to have the client. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so there you can't um, so you you can't uh, switch back and forth. You just have to kind of pick the one you want to use and then kind of serve it to the other one. That's exactly right. And okay. so on the on the flip side, if you want to use the Mac's keyboard and mouse, you have to set up uh, Barrier okay. as a server on the Mac and as the client on Kubuntu. Okay. So yeah. So if yeah. So it wouldn't work the other way. I, I, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't use Barrier because I'm. I don't keep things around long enough to set it up, but yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that helps you one. Um, and please write back whether it helps you or not and let us know what's going on. Yeah. So our next email comes from Mike. He, he asks about video capture. He says, I want to turn a spare computer into a PVR and would like suggestions. I have heard a program called Cheese suggested. I just want to be able to record video from a capture device and save to disk. I do not have to 
have a timer record option. Thanks for any help that you might provide. Mike. And you wrote back to Mike with this suggestion. Uh, you said you might find some ideas here. Simple screen recorder. OBS, which stands for Open Broadcast Software. Kazam. And record my desktop. And uh, did uh, Mike uh, write back and see if any of those worked for him? He did not. He wrote back and said thank you. He was going to try them. And we'll have a link in the show notes to a TechMint article that talks oh, okay. about the best media server software for Linux. And these are included in there. Uh, just by way of definition of some of the terms Mike used and I uh, used in my email. Uh, PVR is Personal Video Recorder. Uh, Cheese is a program for Linux that essentially uses your camera on your computer and gives you some functionality for capturing pictures and capturing okay. video using your computer's camera or any camera connected to your computer. And simple screen recorder and record my desktop are very easy to use, simple, basic applications for making videos. And this may in fact be what Mike was looking for. OBS is much more complex. It allows you to do streaming, and it's the kind of thing that Jupiter Broadcasting Network uses for all of their video, uh, although I've been hearing that they've been moving more back to audio only for some of their broadcasts because video's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Kazam is kind of in between. It gives you a few more features than Simple Screen Recorder or Record My Desktop. Uh, not too many, but a few. And it's nowhere near as, as powerful or as complex as OBS. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, Mike, that helps you out. and Let us know what you settled on. Okay. Our next email is from Benjamin, who asks about Mate desktop environment version 1.22 applet panel with Orca. And Orca, again, is the screen reader software specifically designed for Linux. Hey guys, I am having trouble with Mate's desktop environment applet panel in version 1.22. The Orca screen reader seems stuck when I try to navigate to it with a keyboard. I use Control-Alt-Escape to move between panels, but when I land on the said panel, I can no longer arrow back and forth between the applets. I can't tab between them. Is there... A new command I'm not finding to do this. I run into this on Fedora and Solace. This may be a bug. I'm sorry to expose it like this. If it is, I tried to set up an account on GitHub to submit a bug, but I had a bad time, probably because I got frustrated giving them a satisfactory password. Is that the only place to do that? I am also not on Facebook or Twitter. I used to be on the Sonar Linux list. That's not around anymore. If I had any leads to get in touch with the Mate desktop environment applet panel devs, I'd follow through on this myself. Thanks. Okay, I know that the Mate desktop environment is tightly woven into Ubuntu Mate, which is the distribution I know the most about. Since... Ubuntu Mate doesn't seem to have the problem that you've described. I'm wondering, is it a Mate problem or is it a Fedora or Solace problem? Uh, I don't know. 
you might, if you can, uh, give a try in Ubuntu Mate and see if you have the same problem. And if so, it's very easy to get onto the um, uh, the forums for Ubuntu Mate and report the problem there. Uh, I'm I'm sorry that you're having a problem with with GitHub and getting the the right uh, password in there is to make it acceptable. There's probably a visual captcha or something that it's looking for that you can't see or that the screen reader can't see or something like that blocking your way. So um, I'm not sure how not being a blind user myself, I'm not sure how to get around that. In fact, let, let's just throw this out to the minions. Uh, for those of you who are using Orca software, have you run into this problem, especially on Ubuntu Mate uh, or on Fedora, Fedora and Solace? How did you work around this problem? If you've reported the bug, how did you get around the GitHub issues that Benjamin is having? Let's have those people who are experts in this, that is, our blind listeners, to uh, give Benjamin some feedback on this. We're looking for you to to give some help to a uh, fellow Linux user struggling with the same issues that you struggle with. Yes. Our next email comes from George, who wrote about episode 373, Windows Gone. I don't know the account from whom Bill acquired a computer, and Nancy may well have been too generous to the guy who sold her a high-end PC when, quite likely, the one who gave Bill would have done the job. But there are important differences between Windows Home and Windows Pro. The default Windows Home install is blatant spyware. I once read, and I wish I could find again, the criticism from an EU government that suggested it collects as many as 25,000 data points through telemetry, basically acting as a keylogger. Windows Pro offers some complex menus that enable users to restrain how much data Microsoft reads, presuming Microsoft honors the restraints. And he writes, sad face, I understand Windows updates may reset user preferences back to send all data. Even Windows Enterprise, built on top of Pro, doesn't enable users to completely shut down telemetry. I don't understand how huge corporations, some in business competition with Microsoft, can install any version of Windows knowing it's encrypted so that you don't know what Microsoft is collecting channel to the Microsoft uh, servers. By the way, the little snitch application firewall on Macs reports bi-directional telemetry between local systems and Apple servers that gives no better sense of privacy when what Apple gathers has been identified, spotlight local searches going to Apple, specific location data going to Apple, Apple's response is always, oops, we didn't mean to do that. Okay, so there's a, a little bit to unpack there. He's basically right about the versions of Windows. I think all of them are built upon the same code base. I think they just have different features. I wouldn't say that the enterprise is built upon Pro. I think they're all come from the same uh, code base with different uh, uh, applications and abilities built in. The As far as updates um, from what I've been able to see from the 1903 install is that both Windows Home and Windows Pro 
only allow you to so many times uh, pause an update. But I think Enterprise is one that they have uh, like some additional software that allows system administrators to have a little bit more control. I've heard that uh, sometimes it's, it works and sometimes it doesn't. I don't use Windows enough to speak intelligently on the various you know levels. Um, I know that they do have uh, telemetry in there, and they say they use it for making their system better. Um, and uh, depending on how you set your your permissions, there's two defaults: full, which tells Microsoft they can you know look at applications, how long you've used it, what you got installed, etc., etc., to basic, which uh, restricts some of that. I don't have a uh, enterprise copy of uh, Windows 10, so I, I, I don't know how that's different. I don't know. <laughs> you got any, any ideas on this uh, or any comments? Because I, I don't want to see my God, we're bashing Microsoft. We all know Microsoft sends telemetry back. We all know that uh, uh, we really don't know how much is is being sent back even though they said here's a tool that lets you it's not easy to understand and you know since the programs that they give you are closed source there's no way to really audit the code to see what exactly if it's reporting everything so you kind of have to take a lot of good faith so what do you think yeah so i know you're just starting some research into a series of episodes we're going to be doing about switching from Windows to Linux. And this issue is part of the reason why many people will leave Windows is this idea that they are collecting all kinds of information through what's known as telemetry. Uh, The comment I would have is let's take some of that EU government statistics of 25,000 data points being collected With a grain of salt, what I've noticed is politicians in particular tend to overstate things in order to get laws passed and to make Mm -hmm. points and that sort of thing. And what I've seen is things like sending cookies, browser cookies back is not one event in in their counting, right? Uh, They count each individual cookie that it sends back as a separate data point. Right. And really, it's all the same thing. It's just which which cookies are you sending back. So maybe 25,000 is the right number. Maybe it's not. I don't know how it was counted, but let's just take that with a grain of salt. The bottom line, though, is that they're doing it. They're doing it on a massive scale. They're doing it in a way that you can't shut down completely. And they're doing it oftentimes without the user's knowledge or permission. So uh, I know that the EU has put some laws in place. And here in the U.S., some laws are going into place to help combat this kind of thing. But it's government laws. It's not going to keep up with the technology. It's just a matter of fact that, you know, politicians can't keep up with this kind of technology. And they are very, uh, many of them are very... What's the opposite of tech savvy? Luddites? Uh, yeah. Uh, many of them don't understand technology at all and yet are 
happy to pass laws restricting the use of technology. And sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. So uh, that's kind of my uh, political rant on this. Um, yeah, so uh, George, thanks. The problem that I think that all governments are facing is that technology is moving so fast that the laws that we have on the books weren't really designed to address some of the issues of the data collection and telemetry and you know program software moving from a, a install you know you, you upgrade once a year to now it's a service then we're just going to give you updates all the time so there's a lot of technical issues involved um in it and you know and unfortunately some of these guys are just not tech savvy enough to to understand they're just taking what these big corporations say and i'm not saying corporations are evil i'm just saying that this these guys uh the the corporations are telling the uh, the politicians who make our laws that hey this is okay this is not really evil to then it's then they all of a sudden it's like uh you have uh you know, inappropriate ads being sent to people and data breaches and so then everything's kind of like a knee jerk so they they're trying i guess they just i think they're just kind of until they start getting some people in there to advise them of what's really happening that aren't tied to these big corporations um we're still going to they're, they're going to struggle yep absolutely okay well uh moving on then from <laughs> George's email. Uh, Daniel. Hello, everyone. I am using Ubuntu Mate. G Potter is my podcasting, podcatching client. I am frustrated because I cannot get into its menus with the keyboard, nor can I find a list of keyboard shortcuts for this program. Any ideas? Yeah, uh, Daniel, it is a bit alarming that G Potter is not accessible. Uh, or more accessible than it is. And I believe that it's a known issue that GPotter is not accessible. So maybe we can come up with uh, some alternatives to GPotter as a podcatching client. Um, uh, there, there are plenty of them uh, available for Linux, and GPotter is yet one of them. The nice thing about GPotter is it's cross-platform and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's handy to use, but if it's not accessible to blind users, then this is going to be a problem. I gave up using GPotter a long time ago because it was annoying the way it worked. And even for a sighted person, it was annoying. So uh, my suggestion is, unless you want to get on the forums and provide them some feedback and see if they'll do something about it, switch to something else. Yeah. Our our next email comes from James, and he has a Banshee question. Hello from Indiana. My name is James, and my thanks for the earlier help uh, from you and your minions. I have a hopefully minor question about Banshee Media Player. I can import media from folders, but unable to import playlists such as the M3U files nor can I even find the folder that would hold the M3U playlist file in hopes of copy, edit, and paste. Any suggestions would be welcome. Oh. Um, I don't 
news banshees, so I don't know. Um, but if I was just to hazard a guess, I would say that maybe the um, the M3U files are maybe kept in a separate folder under, you know, I don't know how the structure is of it. Uh, Larry, you got, I, got, I have nothing. What do you got? <laughs> yeah, Banshee is one of those uh, podcatching clients that <laughs> that um, our previous uh, emailer, Daniel, could switch to. Uh, I don't know whether he uses M3U or not, but uh, yeah, there's um, quite a bit of back and forth from 2008, it looks like, on importing M3U files and in the forums from Banshee Media Player. Uh, let me see if there's anything more recent than that. Uh, let's see, 2011, that's a little more recent. Uh, more, 2008, a little... Uh, 2012, yeah, uh, 2014. Looks like there's a bug in the import. Um, it was reported in 2014 on... Um, on the Banshee bug reporting list uh, for Linux Mint says Banshee unable to import playlist from M3U files gives no reaction after choosing to import a playlist file. Indeed, after I create a playlist in Banshee and I export it properly as M3U file, Banshee cannot re-import the playlist that was created by itself. Hmm. So it's definitely a bug. Uh, I don't see that it's been resolved. Let me take a look at the activity log on this particular post. Yeah, nothing. So um, if you're looking for importing of playlists, it may be until they fix this bug that you need to look at another player as well. This is... Uh, Again, alarming that we would have these kinds of issues not being addressed. Um, for years. Yeah, for years and years and years. Uh, not unusual. I don't know what the development cycle for Banshee is or whether it's even under current development. It could be one of those applications that is no longer under active development by its original developer and is looking for a new um, open source sponsor or owner to take it over i don't know either way um it it appears to be a bug without a resolution and if somebody else has found the solution or has more up-to-date information that we've been able to find here doing a quick search uh, we'd appreciate any feedback okay our last email is from jack death who wrote damn this sucks and he provides a link to the Linux Journal Ceases Publication Awkward Goodbye. So Linux Journal is going away again. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they made an announcement a little bit premature a little while ago. Last year, I think it was, where they said they were going to... No, December 2017. Um, where they said they were going to have to shut the doors. They found some additional help and support and were able to keep going. 
until now. Looks like this is the last straw for them. Kyle Rankin, uh, the editor at Linux Journal, uh, wrote a final goodbye. Uh, he titles it as an awkward goodbye, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. But Linux Journal, that's been around for a long, long time, is going away, and yeah, Jack Death, it sucks. Yeah. Did you ever buy the magazine? I had a subscription to that thing. I've bought a copy here or there. I've never had a subscription, but I have read huh. their articles online. Uh, I I don't really subscribe to paper magazines or even to electronic magazines because most of it is not of interest to me. I'll read an article here or there and then think, why did I spend oh. the money on this again? So it wasn't really <laughs> a lot of value to me. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean it's not a lot of value to other people. And unfortunately, either they weren't charging enough or they didn't have enough subscribers to keep them in business. Yeah, I think uh, with the uh, the availability of of all the information out there, it, you know, with a lot of answers that yeah, you can go to the, the forums or or Google, it's just kind of you know just one of the casualties, and it's a shame because some of the articles are really good. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of them, but uh, yeah, um, that's sad to see it go. So it just yeah. seems like. It just the way uh, media is consumed now is just kind of kind of hard for uh, you know these publications to survive. I mean, I've even heard that um, you know newspapers are closing down because they just everybody can get everything they need on the internet. So yeah, it's one of those examples of the industry not keeping up with the times. It's like uh, Polaroid with the instant film uh, <laughs> i remember those yeah uh they, they didn't keep up with film technology or the fact that cameras went to electronic uh, sd cards for storage or what, whatever the first storage types were for cameras i guess there was one that had a floppy disk actually um i had one of those believe it or not uh, and they just didn't keep up with the times and same thing with the publishing industry. They're not, uh, adapting to the, the industry. Um, something you said earlier about people not needing Linux, uh, uh, Linux journal, maybe because it's so easy to find stuff online, answers to questions and so on. Was that comment meant to say that going Linux is putting Linux Journal out of business? Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> uh, hopefully not. I mean, I no, we wouldn't <laughs> be doing that. <laughs> no, we're, we're not part of the problem. We're we're part of the new technology, I guess. Yeah, yeah. New ways. Yeah, of I'm just going to say if the, if those uh, writers from Linux Journal start looking for you for us, I'm sending them to your house. Uh huh. Okay. Actually, yeah. you should send them to my house because they never find me. <laughs> there you as, go. As the, if the UPS driver can't find me, I doubt those guys can. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well. Uh. Yeah. Uh, all the joking aside, it's sad that Linux Journal is uh, again going out of business. Maybe for real this time. Uh. And it sure seems like it, and we'll miss them. Yes. On that sad note, 
we'll wrap up our episode. Uh, our next episode, what will our next episode be, Bill? Do we have any idea at this point, or are we still kind of uh, thinking about it? We are going to be talking about transitioning from Windows to Linux. Okay. And a how-to step-by-step. In multiple episodes. In multiple episodes. Um, <laughs> okay, so a new series. Is, is that a good name? It's good enough for now. Okay. I mean, it's a description more than a name. So we'll figure out what the episode will be called, but I like the idea, Bill. Thanks. All right. So until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast uh, community at community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.